0: (laughs) good evening damn it i can't even get my first line right (laughs)
1: there
0: you go good evening robert
2: what are you drinking hello my friend
0: hello and welcome to episode 52 of rockstar cmo fm the m is for marketing and the f it's a well you decide as you're probably wondering does the world need another effing marketing podcast i'm your host ian truscott editor of rockstar cmo if you're new to the show this weekly podcast serves as my excuse to chat with friends marketers writers and cmos i've met through the rockstar cmo publication and my career as a marketing leader at various b2b vendors and as a trusted advisor to clients working for agencies as an analyst and with my own firm you can find us at rockstarcmo.com or rockstar cmo on twitter and linkedin and i'm ian truscott pretty much everywhere This episode is recorded on Friday the 5th of March and it's our birthday. We've been doing this a year. I admit, I've hidden some of the early episodes. I think I was talking to the wrong end of the microphone and probably putting off new subscribers. And don't worry, those guests all came back. And thank you to everyone that's been on the show. And of course, to you for listening. I hope you've had a good week and you are well, safe and staying as same as you feel you need to be. In a moment, I'll be chatting with Jeff Clark as we discuss if a marketing trend or technique is a one-hit wonder or wonderwall. This week's interview is with Ian Lowe, a returning guest, and we chat about his new gig as CMO at Essential Accessibility. And finally, I again join Robert Rose as we close the week with a cocktail in the Rockstar CMO Virtual Bar. Right, let's get started, shall we? Right, on to our first segment. We marketers love to be down with the cool kids dancing to the latest sound. But will that tune stand the test of time? Each week, my chum, Jeff Clark, Rockstar CMO advisor and former Serious Decisions Forrester research director joins me in deciding if that marketing tune, topic or technique or trend that everyone is talking about is a one-hit wonder or wonder Let's find out what's hot or not this week. Welcome, Jeff, back to Rockstar CMO
3: FM. How are you, my friend? I am doing very well. It's Yikes. a little bit of spring is uh, mm. in the air around here. Mm, Not too warm yet, it. but it's it's getting nicer.
0: Yeah, we've had little teases of spring here, so uh, always. It's funny, I'm, I'm the sort of chap that when it's summer, I think it's going to last forever. And when it's winter, I get depressed thinking it's going to last forever. So I love the change in season <laughs> to remind me that things but are going to last nothing lasts
3: forever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I actually, my Tuesday tea sense was actually about crocuses this year because every year when the little spring bulbs come out, I realize that I've forgotten to, sp- to plant spring bulbs. And, um, and I thought that was a good analogy for content marketing. That <laughs> you know, Yes. yeah, that, yeah Absolutely. Uh, it, that you you can't do it now you should have done it months ago but anyway that's a bit of a diversion because i think this week um i think we're going to break our one hit wonder or wonderful slot because i think the topic that i'm going to suggest is neither of these things um because my twitter feed quite often actually uh because, probably because of the nature of the people i follow is uh there's a big debate about marketing education about the fact that most of us marketers are pretty much a self-taught bunch um and you know that i
3: am and i'm, I'm
0: self-taught mean. by all these books behind me that uh, yeah. nobody can see oh and see. i have my
3: my yeah and nobody can see the books because i actually am where my books are too so um, yes well nobody can yes.
0: see because they are not recording the video to be honest jeff so, <laughs> <laughs> so so um and i've i mean my own personal marketing journey i've Fairly, been fairly diligent about the f- understanding the fact that I needed to learn marketing and did it self-taught but folks like Mark Ritson rail against that sort of thing and especially as you know we're a noisy bunch on, on, um, on social media and you, there are a lot of marketers that don't really know much there are a lot of people on social media should I say that have a lot to say about marketing and don't really have much to back it up. Uh, what say you, sir, Jeff, in your I, experience, what's, what's your view of people that have a formal marketing education and is it a must, is it something people need to do?
3: I tell you, you know, it's like, um, I probably shouldn't admit, but no, I, I know nothing about marketing. No. Um, <laughs> but it is, um, we're, we're, so yeah, are we,
0: we're we, are we, are we reaching the end of this series. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's,
3: yeah. Um, I think it, it, no, it is, it's, um, it's a, it's a real challenge because obviously people do come in, um, different entry points into marketing, you know, Mm. um, and with different skills and usually it's some combination of I've got good communication skills. I, or I got good project management skills or I came in on the design creative end of it. And, and as I, as I learned more, uh, and you know, you pick things up through the job, uh, then you make your way up into, you know, management positions or whatever. And, um, and then you look back and go, lo and behold, I never really got a, an education in, yeah. in marketing per se. And so sort of my path into marketing was, I mean, it was <clears throat> very securitist, but I was, um, you know, I was working in promoting solar energy at a government agency back in the early eighties. Mm. And I ended up running a nonprofit for a short period of time. And, um, but as I sort of took, I mean, I kept taking some like continuing, you know, college courses and stuff yeah. like that. And I took marketing and I kind of realized it's like, Oh my gosh, what I was doing was really more was marketing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. and, and, I was running events. I was publishing, you know I was writing and publishing uh, newsletters and articles and stuff like that. Doing guests for, actually was a uh, um, I was a journalist for a bit from a freelance perspective. So all those things are great. Um, but then as you get in and you you really try to uh, you know, um, execute on the practice of marketing, um, I think that's where um, we realize that there's not a really good discipline around education and mm. I think part of that is because marketing a marketing department is so many different skills mm. and it's not like you know there's a, there's the salesperson with the sales skills and the pre-sales person and a couple ops people and you know and then you know as a sales department gets bigger you get um, you do have p- multiple skills, but they tend to be um, uh, uh, kind of a homogenous group. Homogenous might not be the right term for it, but there's a certain set of skills that surround the selling process. Right. Okay, now if I go over to marketing, okay, so what's the marketing process? Mm-hmm. And is the fact that marketing is different in different organizations, does that, does that make it harder for us to train people on marketing and understand what that education curriculum should be? Um, I think that's a it's a it's a tough question.
0: I like that. It's like define marketing before you even start with the education. Define marketing, and then the other thing yeah. you just mentioned are the folks that that really keep the lights on in any organization, any commercial organization. That's salespeople, and they don't get any formal training either. Right?
3: They, <laughs> there is no, <laughs> so they you, they don't. Although you can, you know, you can go to. I mean, there's a, certainly a ton of classes or workshops yeah, yeah. on, on you know, uh, you're, how to, you're how not to do gonna cold it, calling and how to do yeah, but, blah 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 blah. But,
0: it, but it's not a form. It's not. I mean, the the comparison that these folks make about marketing, be, marketing professionals that it should be a profession that's recognised like being an accountant or being yeah. in law or something like that. Yeah, there isn't that for sales either. I mean, there's loads of resources for all of us, and I think that one of the points that I was going to raise with you is about is about is it should be it's beholden on any marketer to, to stay current and to continuously learn right because one Definitely. of the things that one of the things that i think marketing education is often criticized for and i think in a lot of fields it's the same way is that it's hard to stay current with a with a marketing curriculum i mean i i don't i mean obviously mark ritson's touting his own mini mba but so i don't i i presume that he probably stays fairly up to date, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I don't know what happened. I mean, it was funny. Um, my 17-year-old was doing work ex- lockdown work experience, and it consisted of her learning about marketing. She'd basically, a bunch of agency owners and various different speakers, she was on Zoom calls <laughs> listening to what they had to say. And it was quite funny because then at the dinner table, I mean, she has no interest in marketing before this. At the dinner table, she's talking to me about the five P's. And I'm like, what? The five P's? P's, And I'm like, there are four P's. And she's like, no, no, there's five because I've just heard it from the, you know, so it's interesting that, you know, what people would consider to be marketing education. Is it listening to an agency owner who has a theory about their own five P's that they're then going to talk about?
3: Well, that so you're bringing up, uh, there's two Two points to, to uh, jump on there. So one is that yes, every every marketer, just like everybody who's, who's trying to create a career, um, yeah. does have a responsibility to do their own self education and yeah. you know make sure they can go off to seminars or whatever to learn specific yeah. skills. I mean, you could want to go down. You know, we talked about agile a little while ago. You could go down the agile road. Yeah. Uh, you could if you're in project management, or you could go down. The digital yeah. road, or you can go down the. I'm in technology, so I need to learn about marketing tech, blah blah. So yep. those are all different uh, roads that are you're good. But and that a lot of that is like, where am I in the organization, and where do I want to get to? What you know, what mm-hmm. what part of marketing do I want to focus on? But mm-hmm. then there's just marketing. You know, the organization. So if, if I'm a CMO, so all you CMOs are listening to this out there, and I'm thinking <laughs> about okay, now what? how do we what is marketing to us and i want to make sure that everybody in my team understands how we market and Mm. and you know one of the best examples i can think of this actually is in sales because i work for a company that um they kind of uh they want to develop their own sales culture they want to develop their own sales Mm. processes and so they would pull from different um uh you know different subject matter experts that had created certain things like how do you engage mm-hmm. somebody in a conversation, how do you do demos, how do you manage accounts, blah blah. blah. And they would personal or customize it for the company. And 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 actually as a marketer, I participate in a lot of the training because this was really helpful to understand mm-hmm. what the selling process is like at the company and the fact that mm-hmm. we do things a certain way that we're proving you know, works for us. Yeah. I mean, it's not, yeah. we're just somebody's opinion that I want to do it this way or that way. It's like, we're trying things, we prove it out. Now let's, well, let's get everybody on the same page. Mm-hmm. And I think you should do the same thing in marketing. It's like, are we focused on account engagement? You know, are we, uh, you know, are we trying to big, big, um, you know, thought leaders and projecting brand, you know, what, what is the thing that's or things mm-hmm. that are important and make sure you know, it's like everybody gets that that level of marketing training to get them up to speed uh, with that. And, and there are, I was going to say, and there are basics about how to understand yeah. customer needs, how to communicate to customer needs, how to, you know, pers- you know yeah. there's just, there are lots of things that, that people who are neophytes do need to learn and whether they do that through, you know, one-on-one course or whatever learning the four p's five p's (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. what do you ever um the the thing i don't quite like about the discussion is the negativity of the the my marketing education a bit like being an accountant or a lawyer is a gateway to the profession whereas a lot of people i've spoken to and by the sounds of things you included and me included took a circuitous route into marketing and I think we brought with us as long as we we did our we learned the marketing basics we brought with us a a diversity of thinking but also I think that with a lot of the people that I speak to I'm not sure that you know they would have got a college education in business or marketing at that time in their lives and that actually marketing as a profession I mean it's it's you know it's it's a it's a it's a diverse profession particularly a lot of women in this profession and it's, do, you think, do you think that there's a bit of a piousness about creating a gateway into this profession with this, this
3: education thing? Yeah. And, I, and, I, and one of the things that made me think of is that it, when I was um, learning about Agile in its application to marketing, so Agile mm. processes, it, is mm. that what was different from development where Agile had um, basically had started yeah. And marketing is that in development, people there's like this concept of the T-shaped skill set. You know, there's a mm-hmm. lot of people that have similar skills in, you know, coding in particular languages yeah. of particular applications, and you can kind of move them around mm-hmm. into different uh, work groups focused on different components of the of the software package. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now I move into marketing, and it's like, well, if I'm going to run a yeah. campaign. I need a product person or a solution marketer. I need a writer. I need a designer. Yeah. I need a digital person. I need a, 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 a you know. So all of a sudden, I'm realizing I've got the, all these various specialized skills that bring yeah. their um their their effort their their energy and their efforts to a campaign. So so really, it's like the people that that, that come into the marketing organizations are the ones that that have those. Yep. those particular skills. And probably the yeah. product marketer is the one that has the most general marketing yeah. background and skills although they may have come because they knew about the product and they could just yeah. you know write a press release and a white paper
0: <laughs> so well that that but, was my well as you know that was my background so I came from yeah. um, I, I came from being a tech person a consultant and then um, got involved with development and product management and then because as part of product management you then start to engage with customers to, to develop your um, you know back then you know our user stories and and what it is we're going to build and then how do we prioritize all the different features and bugs and you're dealing with the help desk you're dealing with the customers and then you're thinking about personas and then you and then you move into product marketing how yeah. do i position this i now have some subject matter expertise that's needed in marketing and then all of a sudden you're in
3: marketing. Yeah, in marketing. <laughs> That's right. yeah there you go. Um, so, yeah, it, yeah, I hate what I hate to say. It's like, so, is marketing the dumping, <laughs> dumping ground for people that aren't making it in the other team? Or is it where all the positive things flow up to. Um, No, but that I mean that's that is exactly how a lot of people get into marketing, and 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 I think that that's where um, to kind of go back to what I was saying earlier is that the executive team or the marketing leadership team really should be thinking about how do we train um, Mm. or what is training for our Mm. staff, and some of it might be just better career development within their their um, career progression, and some of it might just might be. Let's let's get something together about how we, you know, how we train people is what marketing means in our organization. And yeah. um, and too often, and I know you've probably seen this. We probably saw it in the organization we worked in, is that, you know, money would be set aside for marketing enablement, education, whatever you mm. want to call it. And then it's like, oh, gosh, but we need more money for this campaign. Or we need yeah. to hire somebody. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. let's. Well, oh, or there's a budget cut. Well, the the marketing the training, training goes gone. Go, mm-hmm. that's gone. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. and so, and it's not like sales where it's like you're totally focused on sales productivity, and it's like mm-hmm. okay, if we keep if we keep putting off training, then you know we're just never going to get to where our salespeople yeah. are effective enough. Yeah, it doesn't have quite that tension that that no. keeps us focused on enablement. But I think mm-hmm. it's I just think it's critically important, um, and not just. To get people um, you know to further everybody's individual's career, but to help get everybody on the same page absolutely. in terms of how we market to our customers absolutely
0: yeah I mean it, the, I mean that i I, you, I I don't like a lot of this conversation about um about marketing education because I think some of it is is a little bit toxic and a, a little bit exclude exclude how do you say it is exclusive yeah exclude yeah and i feel i mean because of my own background i suppose i'm sensitive to that um and i i, I i'm quite you know i guess because i have tried to to educate myself that um you know i think that's what that's what everybody needs to do but there is a it, there is a responsibility on making this marketing thing more of a profession right and that sits yes. with that's what sits with us as marketing leaders Yep. Sits so with us as marketers, as well as organizations to, to make that happen so that people are leveled up, right? Cause you're absolutely right. You talk to some people about, well, <clears throat> here are the key things I need. I need some personas. I need customer journey. I need this. And you'll talk to an, a, a, somebody else in the marketing team will, who, who, who'll be like, we're what what now? Yeah. <laughs> How are we going to do that? What? Surely. Why is that important? Yeah, surely yeah. surely you know. So, yeah. uh yes. Uh so so I so I think we're all, we're uh, it's it's not a one hit wonder
3: or wonder all this week, is it? It's a hmm. 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 <laughs> no, I I think it it, it it's like I I mean, in my whole career, I think people have been talking about marketing training, and it's Mm -hmm. like it just never has been taken seriously enough. And um, and so the right leader at the right time uh, should be saying, "Okay, now, Mm -hmm. whether it's now I have the budget, now I've got it, whatever, now I have an Mm -hmm. idea about how I would want to train, you know, my staff, what Mm -hmm. I would train them on, you Mm -hmm. know, to just take advantage of that, and you know, and uh, well."
0: Yeah, I've got an ended, I know we're sort of winding up there, but I've got an additional thought on this. This is almost a generational thing, anyway, right? Because I think for for many people that I speak to, marketing was not a career that they would have chosen for themselves. They just found themselves in it. Whereas I think now. Um, I think with the hustle culture and that people understanding how important marketing is just in general, because there's more of an entrepreneurial spirit isn't there in the, in the current generation Yeah. yeah. Um, that they realize, I mean, that's what my daughter was thinking was like, wow, if I could learn to market, then that would be a core skill for whatever I choose to do with myself. Correct. So I, so hopefully the situation is changing and that marketing is becoming uh, more of an educational choice for the youngest folks. But so does that make it a wonder wall? It could.
3: Maybe hmm. it's a wonder wall to be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think we're agreed that marketing education is generally good, whether it's self-taught or not, and I think we're we agreed that professionalism, professionalizing our industry is a good thing but what is marketing and what we're going to train people in and that we need this diversity of team. We understand that too, which sort of, t- t- so, so we don't want to exclude anybody. So, um, it's not a seminal moment. So I can't drop any more Bob Marley. It's not a one hit wonder. So we can't really choose one of those wonderful songs. No. Uh, but what, sh- what should I play out with Jeff? Got any ideas? <sighs>
3: Sounds like a symphony. Sounds like something.
0: <laughs> something How about Unfinished this. Symphony? Unfinished Symphony, but you might not know this. Oh yeah, I know that one. There's a song called Unfinished Symphony. I shall play that.
3: Yes. Yes, it sounds Excellent. outstanding. That's Excellent, a good, so, good thing to run out on. And um, <laughs> yes. I will. I will play that. And uh,
0: thank you very much, uh, Jeff. And shall we try and get back to normal and talk about one hit wonders and Wonderwalls yeah, next week? There's a
3: lot more one hit wonders out there that we got to. Mm-hmm.
1: We got to.
0: <laughs> and just uh, and just opinion. a quick name check to, uh, to Irene, who's supplied us with some of the ones we are going to discuss. We will discuss those. And yes. I. I had a quick chat with could, her this week. She's going to be on the show in a few weeks' time, so we'll, um, you'll hit So,
3: should, so we, should, we, should we discuss one of her suggestions before yeah, she comes so. on or after?
0: <laughs> before, let's do it next week.
3: Sounds
0: good. <laughs> I'll include a link to what I was just talking about there, and um, and and links to you, Jeff, and to Mark's rants on Twitter <laughs> if anybody's interested. And um, <laughs> I'll see you next week, mate. Thank you, Jeff. So, a marketing education, of course, something we all need and we should all work to professionalise this craft, but should not be a barrier for entry to the industry, Uh, but maybe a barrier to... Some of the opinions that we read. And the Irene we referred to is Irene Nearcorn Kane, Director of Marketing at Exact Tag, who suggested some topics via our LinkedIn page and who I'll be chatting to in a couple of weeks. And the tune was Unfinished Symphony by Massive Attack, definitely a wonder wall for me, and not a one-hit wonder, an absolute classic tune. Anyway... On to our guest. This week's interview is with Ian Lowe, a CMO with 20 years of marketing technology experience, who I chatted with back in episode 26. He's just stepped into the top marketing job at Essential Accessibility, and I thought this would be a good time to catch up with him. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome back, Ian, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, sir?
1: I am doing great. Thank you very much, Ian. It's uh, wonderful
0: to be back. Yes, and uh, congratulations on the new role, which was you know, the you. reason why, I mean, there's any reason why you can drop by and chat to us, but I <laughs> thought this was a good chance to chat to you. Um, so tell us about this new gig, what are you up to?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Essential Accessibility has uh, been around from since 2008, uh, but have uh, taken the chance with the, the new market dynamics to really take a run at some really strong growth. This is a fundamental and necessary need in the market, and uh, they're very well positioned to take advantage of it. Um, I don't know how much you know, Ian, about the accessibility space, mm-hmm. but accessibility and digital accessibility, web accessibility has been around for a long time. People have been aware of it, but regrettably a lot of them have thought about it more as like a checkbox in their RFP yeah. and, you know, their implementers, they deliver some code like, oh yeah, this is WK compliant. And yeah. They go their way and nobody really thought about it again. And that all changed a couple of years ago. There was a a user who was trying to use dominoes.com and and couldn't order the pizza, Mm -hmm. couldn't get to the the public good. That led to a lawsuit, went all the way up to the Supreme Court of the United States. Uh, They came back and said, um, yeah, in fact, you have to be accessible in your digital channels just like a brick and mortar website. Right, right. And that has really changed the dynamic in in North America. There's been a a tremendous amount of private litigation, a private enforcement of ADA, Mm -hmm. That's really where he's the ground And so there's been some organizations who've always cared deeply about accessibility, always cared about, you know, that 15 to 20% of the audience who's affected all of their family members who care about accessibility. They've yeah. known that this has been a good thing that they need to do. Yeah. Uh, and now there's a big financial concern mm-hmm. for most organizations. So that's driving a tremendous amount of interest in the market. Essential accessibility really sets itself apart in a couple of ways. Um, the, the core of it is this is not checkbox compliance. This is about... If you're an organization who has realized you need to become accessible, uh, we have all of the tools uh, from automatic scanning, manual testing, legal guidance, uh, training, certification, VPATs. I mean, all the things that you need to be truly accessible. And then our business model is very simple. Wrap it all up in a single, uh, simple annual fee that delivers all of those. You don't need to know what to ask for. We've got you covered. We're going to be able to set you up on a pathway to success. And because of that combination of technology, people, processes, uh, the simple business model, these guys are just uh, finding extraordinary success. And I'm really thrilled to be part of that.
0: Yeah, that's good. And you're you're joining them as a CMO, and you're and they're, they're based near you up there in Canada.
1: Yeah, head office is in uh, in Toronto. Mm-hmm. But then we have offices in uh, a lot of our employees in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have exposure globally, really, doing yeah. doing business around the world. Anybody who cares deeply about accessibility for any reason. Right. Uh, obviously, a lot of the, the recent uptick in demand has, has come from the United States.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's something, I mean, compliance and, and web governance is something that has been close to my heart for, for many years. I worked with, you've probably heard of these guys, I uh, worked with Magus years ago, who became Active Standards and then got acquired by your old crowd. Uh, and, um, and, it, and it's always been on the edge of being something that's going to be really important. Why do you think it's really important right now? I mean, you touched on it a bit there, but is it this checkbox mm-hmm. thing, or do you think it's something everybody should, needs to pay attention to?
1: Well, compliance is, is kind of a, a weird thing, no matter what industry you're thinking about. You know, with active standards, it's sort of, you know, like technical compliance, and, you know, you can have, like, privacy compliance and yeah. all these, these other things. Yeah. I mean, if you think about accessibility, you know, just from compliance, like compliance is not important. Conformance with the regulations of reform is important. Mm -hmm. Following the law, you know, not discriminating against people. I mean, that's important. Yeah. Um, And if but if all you're thinking about is that sort of negative space of I need to check the box, I need to get compliant, that's the minimum I want to do. Yeah, you're missing an opportunity to provide competitive advantage, Mm -hmm. to provide differentiation, to find a way to use these tools you're bringing into your stack in order to get to compliance as a way to really move forward your operations. Mm -hmm. And that can be, Hey, we're going to attack new segments of the market. We're going to open up. We're going to are, because we're more accessible. That means we're just more usable in general. So we expect up across our portfolio. Um, But it can also mean, Hey, we're going to streamline operations instead of waiting until there's a problem and remediating it at the end. It's like, it's like a bug. (laughs) What's the most expensive time to fix a bug in code? Yeah, yeah, right. Most expensive time to to fix your accessibility issues, like when somebody's found out that they that's not actually accessible, and they're suing you. We we like to talk about shifting left, move this earlier, start thinking about how do you become accessible by default. Yeah, Um, that allows you to broaden the spectrum beyond just compliance. Yeah. into how do you get get accessible but then stay accessible by default
0: yeah and uh, w- when um, when i was close to this topic it was always like the 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 opportunity for marketers really is that if you build an accessible website it's actually better for everybody because you know we're not all you know as readers we're not all perfect readers and and is that is that the same drive that you're seeing with your clients now
1: yeah, absolutely. You have to think about um, accessibility. Um, is the the thing about like how do I make an experience, whether it's digital or real world or whatever? We focus on digital, mm-hmm. obviously, and, and web experiences and app experiences. But how do I make that uh, usable by everybody, uh, regardless of any particular challenge they might have? Mm-hmm. And if you think about that, just like oh, I've, I've I got a good complaint with the ADA that limits it, but you can think about it more broadly about everybody has to be able to use it. If you build an accessible digital experience or an accessible app then that will make it easier to use and more beneficial for all users yeah. um, because even like a user who has a disability somebody who has a temporary uh, experience that you know they have a, a restrained mobility because of a broken arm or something, but just regular everyday users who are going to find it easier to navigate and use your experience because it's built yeah, to be used. Yeah, um, yeah, and that way, you can sort of think of usability as a subset of accessibility.
0: Right, right. So it just makes it easier for everybody. And is it, uh, it used to? Do uh, you still um, still focusing on the fact that it actually you know there's there's such a huge market. Um, that you address by by including everybody in that. Is that, is that? is that still the sort of the data that floats around this space? Is that is that what also encourages your clients? Or is it just, the, I mean, not just that it's the right thing to do, but actually there's a commercial imperative aside from getting sued for, for being accessible?
1: Yeah, you can think of sort of a, a hierarchy of issues, yeah. right? There can be a, a very particular pain point. I've received a, a demand letter, I'm being sued, that's really sort of yeah. like pushing you, uh, the The legal team says, "Hey, this has risen to the top of my inbox." The CEO or you know general counsel, yeah. hey, please address this. Let's get this taken yeah. care of. Those can always be those uh, immediate inciting issues. Uh, beyond that, there is uh, the the brand issues. Uh, if you're driving, you know diversity and inclusion, uh, this is part of it. Is your website. Uh, appealing to to people, no matter what bra- background they might have, do mm-hmm. um, you want to cultivate the appearance of a of a brand who really cares and engages with every member of their audience? Mm-hmm. Uh, those really matter. Mm-hmm. And then, as you said, there's these these broad commercial issues, and sometimes people get really focused on you know what is the percentage of people who are experiencing a disability that might interfere with with you know engaging with a digital experience. Oh, yeah. But it's, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's not just them. It's the people who care for them yeah. are going to care about accessibility. Yeah. They're going to be looking for what are the apps and experiences uh, and websites and so on that are going to support the people I care about. Mm-hmm. And when you start thinking about, OK, so there's, you know, this, you know depending on the statistic, you look at 17 percent, 20 percent, 24 percent of the, the internet audience who are experiencing some kind of disability. Yeah. And then you think about, well, what about their friends and family and yeah. their caregivers? Yeah. What does that audience, it, you start racking up, you know, potentially trillions of dollars of annual spend of people who care about this issue yeah. and becomes part of, of how you want to establish. So I think there's a hierarchy of needs. Yeah. And some people are coming in at different levels But yeah. uh, it all comes back to this idea of, do you truly want to, Uh, become accessible, Mm -hmm. uh, then there's a a variety of tools you can bring to the problem and help you get to that experience, that accessible experience faster, Mm -hmm. and then stay there and not have to deal with Mm -hmm. the pain of remediating after the fact. Yeah. So it's a part
0: of uh, every organization's social responsibility then. I mean, a lot of companies nowadays are talking about uh, social issues like sustainability and stuff. And it's just a part of that Mm -hmm. program then.
1: Yes, for, for some organizations, and we encourage that. I, like I said, there's a, a variety of things that might bring you to the table, yeah. and I don't want to, you know, talk down to those organizations who are only thinking about it now for the first time because they received the data. Yeah, there's a lot of t- things in our life where you know a particular need yeah. brings us to the table, and we start realizing how important it is and the broad touch points it has. Yeah. Um, but certainly for organizations who think about their social responsibility and their engagement with all types of audience, regardless of background. It's important to consider accessibility as part of that. journey. It's a fascinating topic.
0: And as I intimated there, it's something I've been close to in previous roles and stuff, but back to you and your new role. Um, you like a few people actually I've spoken to on the podcast, you've been recruited during the pandemic. How, How was that experience for you?
1: Well, the, the pandemic has been, you know, so unusual for for everyone. Yeah. Here in Canada, uh, where I live, we've gone through sort of, you know, these phases of a, a little less lockdown, a little yeah. more lockdown, and sort of, we're all just sort of living our best hermit lifestyle. <laughs> I love that, um, living our best hermit life.
0: <laughs> it's exactly the same here in the UK, absolutely. We're living our best hermit life. <laughs>
1: Um, and so, so we're all, uh, wrapped up in that. Mm-hmm. And what's been interesting from a business perspective is when this first set in, you know, back March, April of last year, yeah. I think everybody kind of, you know, uh, tensed up, yeah. uh, from a, from a business perspective, uh, how was this going to impact everybody? What was yeah. going to go on? How bad was the recession going to be? Yeah. And there are certainly some industries who have been, you know, severely and, uh, very dramatically impacted. Yeah. Uh, hospitality and and travel and and others. I mean, yeah. it's it's been really bad for, for yeah. a number of industries. Particularly anything that, that relied on brick and mortar. Yeah. Um, th- that being said, there the shift to digital has meant that for some sectors of of tech and digital, yeah. uh, there's been a tremendous amount of activity. Uh, that you know the joke. You know who led your your digital transformation is yeah. the CTO or, or COVID nineteen. Yeah. Uh, and the answer is t- COVID yeah. nineteen. Everybody's got. It. Yeah. Um, and, and so this, you know, product, essential accessibility, this work that we're doing is, is part and parcel of that. As yeah. so much of the world has gone online, yeah. then the need to make sure that that online experience is accessible, is compliant, is the best you can do, yeah. best way to represent your brand you can do, that's also impacted it. So yeah. it's been a, um, uh, for the right industries, uh, there's actually been a, a lot of growth and excitement and energy uh, don't want to downplay how bad this has been for some other segments, yeah, but yeah. Uh, in some places there's been a tremendous amount of uh, of market work right, being done. Right, and so um, starting a new CMO
0: role, and maybe I shouldn't ask too many details here, but what's your immediate plan? What, what's what's top of the list for you as a, as a new CMO stepping into an organization?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you know, my my background is is marketing operations. Yeah. So always kind of looking, what are the systems, the processes, the data that we have yeah. to make those. Data driven decisions uh, inform what we're doing in our strategy by what do we know and what can we instruments? So that's, yeah. that's always really, really critical um, to, to make sure you've got that set of data that you're, yeah. you're informing yourself on. Yeah. Uh, the second thing is like, how do you structure up uh, an organization that's going to be able to scale? Mm-hmm. And a company like Essential Accessibility, you know, we doubled in size last year. We've wow. got, you know, really strong growth mm-hmm. goals. We want to make sure we happen those and that there's an element of, of scalability that's required there. Mm-hmm, that's... Um, and then the third thing, it's, it, you know, it's, it's marketing. Yeah. Like, what are you going to talk about? How do you position yeah. the product? How do you talk to your audiences? You, we talked about all these different reasons people care about accessibility. Yeah. Well, how do you talk to each of those mm-hmm. meaningfully? How do you let them know that we're here ready to help them in a way that they've never been helped before? Uh, those are all really important. So that's like the one, two, mm-hmm. three, you know, data systems, that kind of stuff, process scalability, messaging and positioning. I think as you go around and, and you talk to CMOs, you're going to hear a lot of the, that same kind of process happening when you step, start up a or start into a new role. Yeah, that's exciting. I mean, you,
0: it's very exciting to start a new role anyway, but it sounds it sounds like it's very exciting to start in a growth area
1: like this. Um, so are you hiring? It's, it's incredibly refreshing to come in. You You love it. You're always looking for it. Uh, differentiated product, great yeah. product market fit, um, ability to, to fundamentally help the customers—they're very happy. I mean, it's a—it's a real pleasure yeah, from a marketing. Yeah, perspective yeah, yeah. So, should I plug that you're hiring? Then should we? Uh, should, should
0: I send people your way that are looking for a new yeah. role? <laughs>
1: Absolutely, we're we're hiring. We're looking for for people who can um, do a number of things. We we want to find more customers who are looking for what we need. So, performance marketing yeah. is is critical. Um, our partner community is is strong and growing. Mm-hmm. Having strong relationships with partner and doing great partner marketing is critical. Yeah. Um, and we're also looking for product marketing to help, as I said, you know, how do we talk about this very important product in a way that people will understand? So those are three critical roles we're looking for right now. If there's somebody in the audience who has a leg up on those, we'd be happy to talk to them. Well, I'll get the word out. There you go. Um, and uh, we're coming
0: up to time, uh, Ian. I know that you're a busy guy, fresh in the role, and I'm really delighted that you can spend some time with me today. Um, but um, you know that at the end of every interview, we talk about the uh, rockstar CMOs from Impor, the portal to hell uh, for the, all the things that we love. About our well, we hate about our industry that we love. Um, and last time, and I thought this was delightful, you threw monolithic marketing technology in our swimming pool. And I love that every time I talk to a tech somebody who works for a tech company, they're always chucking technology into the swimming pool. Um, <laughs> but what I really liked about what you talked about there, and I just wanted to go over it, uh, re-mention re- it here, is you talked about marketing technology is the bicycle of the marketing mind. Mm-hmm. I think you were paraphrasing Steve Jobs. So is that still your position that we should – chuck in the monolithic marketing technology and look at marketing technology in a different way
1: yeah absolutely so uh yeah that that analogy i had uh, steve jobs famously said the the computer is the bicycle for the mind it's not about replacing the mind it's about helping it go faster and further with the same amount of energy and that's how i look at marketing technology it should The the hard part of marketing great messages to audiences, you understand, you know, uh, constantly engaging with that audience, finding out what works, really getting the pulse. That's not going to go away. You're never going to be able to just AI your way out of that problem. Um, And technology should come in and help accelerate that process, help you test that process, help you optimize that process. And that's that's its goal. And if you do that right, uh, you can achieve just dramatic results from scalability um, and growth. So yeah, I totally believe that. Uh, the reason I th- I kind of like hey you know monolithic huge stacks is that they kind of force you to change your strategy to adapt to the technology. Yeah, it's exactly the wrong way around. You want to yeah. develop your strategy and then bring in the right technologies that allow you to execute. And you want to have the flexibility. This industry moves too fast. You got to be able to swap out. Hey, this mm-hmm. isn't working. I want to bring in another piece. I, I whatever mm-hmm. you buy the monolith and you're like oh I I really wanted piece X and it gave me. You know a b and c as well well a yeah. b and c may not be the right choice and yeah. now you're stuck with them because you made that buying decision that's yeah. that's the challenge that i've got with them yeah. um and then you know i view my myself today i'm i'm still part of the the martech stack mm-hmm. these are elements this is technology and process that we bring in to make sure that your digital experiences are going to have the biggest bang for the buck um that are going to be great they're going to be accessible you're going to stay on the right side of the law mm-hmm. it's going to be amazing but that all goes into that whole stack of, like, how do I go from I've got a great idea to my audiences love it. There's a lot yeah. of steps in between, and we're here to help. A true, Marte, and I love the way you brought that home. <laughs>
0: right, right back <laughs> to accessibility. That was brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, and, and also, you've already shared that you're reviewing your Martech as part of, part of this gig. So, so that's great insight. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for your time, Ian. I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your day, and I hope to speak to you soon. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Thanks a lot, Ian. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Thank you, Ian. (laughs) You notice that, uh, how long have I been doing this show? And I forgot to ask where you can find Ian when you spin the dial on the interwebs. You can find him as ID Lowe with an E on Twitter and Ian Lowe on LinkedIn and Essential Accessibility can be found at EssentialAccessibility.com and I will of course include all these links in the show notes. A year on we're still in lockdown here in the UK so it's that time of the week to get transported away from my home office with a cocktail and join my friend and content marketing guru Robert Rose in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar.
2: Good evening Robert. What are you drinking? Hello my friend. It's so nice to see you here in the bar. Uh and you know this it just feels like it's March. I mean that's crazy to me uh that it's already March if you know if 2020 seemed to be interminable the, the 2021 seems to be flying by. Um in any event uh uh, we are we are going to uh, celebrate here with a little bit of uh, 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 of a hot drink, not a hot like mm. temperature hot, but a but a heat, as in spicy drink. Um, and you know, I come from Texas originally, and Texas has its own brand of ridiculousness right now, um, <laughs> and. You know, and r- really just doing some just odd things in the world. Mm-hmm. But I have many of my friends there. I, of course, come from Texas. So mm-hmm. uh, I suppose I've inherited um, some of the silliness so- there. <laughs> um, in any event, I'm calling the drink the Texas Heat. Uh, uh-huh. And uh, it, it is it is basically a, a little tequila, mm-hmm. uh, a little habanero pepper. Um, which is gives it the heat of course and you know make sure you put some of those seeds in there as well because that's (laughs) the heat Um, and uh and of course you need a little salt to make sure your tongue doesn't burn off so um yeah there you go that's that's my texas heat
0: that is a hell of a thing and um yeah i mean it does it does seem that texas is has picked up the baton from where the whole country took uh, left off recently isn't
2: it oh, well so, yeah uh, i mean you know <laughs> texas has always had its own brand of um of well, of independence let's let's be yeah. nice um yeah. but uh, but in this particular case as it opens up um you know completely it, <laughs> gleefully is right it's yeah. you know um in, well they in, can succeed can't they in their oh, they can. They are. They, they, yeah. Yes, as as has been uh, uh, pointed out before, it, it, it is. Um, they are the only state in the union that can that can actually uh, quote unquote legally secede. Right. They have right. the right. They have retained the right to do that as they became a state back in eighteen thirty wow. something.
0: Some forward thinking or or not, or whatever. Anyway, so um, I'm going to attempt to, as uh, regular listeners know, I'm going to attempt to make that drink uh, yeah, using I'm sure you've only... Got all the ingredients there
2: <laughs> ready to <I> roll. Agree-
0: <laughs> I've actually never had a... Um, a, 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 a spicy alcoholic drink. So I'm going to have to give that a go. Normally for me, an alcoholic drink is the thing that goes with the thing, the spicy thing that I'm eating as an Englishman, obviously. And our national dish is curry. Um, so today, uh, because, um, we've, we, um, I mean. Bless Dennis. I mean, he's doing this down this he can. Dennis Shao on Twitter. He's, he's now um, reaching out to all the different gin companies to see uh, every time we mention them, and nobody's responding. So I'll give Sipsmith a go this week. Um, I have a nice little bottle of Sipsmith that my, it doesn't have a particularly, it doesn't have a popper on it. It just has a little screw cap uh, that my wife bought me. Very nice. London Dry Gin. It's very similar to um, tequila. Tequila, yeah. In yeah. a way, in that you drink it regularly and I drink this regularly. I mean, it's a yeah. So I'll uh, put a little slop of that in there. Oh, hang on, I forgot. Was there ice? There wasn't ice in yours. That would just no. Milk, there
2: it. is ice in this. Yes, you're going to need oh, some. Okay. You're going to need yeah, something yeah. to hopefully I'll water it down a little bit ice. over time. Yeah,
0: yeah. And I'm going to choose a very, very spicy gin uh, tonic.
2: I okay, think. all right. <laughs> that should give it just the right amount of uh, of, of spark.
0: Yes, I think. Um, this is the this is the ultimate um, Englishman's repast to your spicy drink. I think I think I would need a gin and tonic if I tried one of yours. So I'm going to give this a go. Oh, that's that's very nice, Robert. That's very nice. I'm not really getting the spice, I must admit, but uh, but that's very nice. And what did we call this?
2: Uh, well, we called it the Texas Heat, but it's really just a hot drink. It's just a it's just a spicy tequila, really. But I'm calling it Texas heat because, you know, as they open up and the weather gets a little better and and, uh, you know, all my all my thoughts are for my friends in Texas sort of dealing with this right now. That's crazy.
0: Yeah, it's that is crazy. Um, But enough of the the politics, I guess we would probably touch on that this time because. Uh, mind you, we wouldn't need to, wouldn't we? Because we wouldn't be drinking virtually; we'd be drinking in real life. So we'd be grateful that Texas has opened up. But where would we be drinking these? And I assume it's not in Texas.
2: Well, I think we need to go to Texas, right? I oh, mean, good. Just to, just to, <laughs> just to sort this all out, right? I mean, it seems it seems a crime if we don't go have this this uh, this. Now, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. So growing up in Texas, I know where all the good parts are. Uh-huh. Um, and there are some amazing parts, of course, of Texas uh, in, um, you know, what they call hill country, which is uh, Austin and the surrounding area yeah. where there are lots of lakes and hills. And it's, it's just absolutely beautiful there. Mm-hmm. And then there's East Texas, um, which also has, of course, a lot of lakes. It's more foresty um, and, um, <laughs> and a little backwards. Um, if you will, um, (laughs) I really prefer West Texas. Um, I Uh spent a lot of my childhood out in West Texas, far West Texas, um, out in a little town. Um, and, and actually on a ranch out there, I used to go out there every summer and every winter, um, Mm -hmm. to do a little work, um, and way out in West Texas where the ranches are literally, you know, 30,000 acres, 40,000 acres. You know, they're just big, wide open country. And so there's a little town out there called Marfa. uh, And in Marfa, Texas, um, it is as small town West Texas as things get. So I think we are there um, Mm -hmm. in Marfa, Texas, enjoying what I truly believe to be the benefit of, of, of all things Texan, which is friendly people great food you know a big steak um and this very hot drink um and and beautiful country just absolutely gorgeous country
0: i, lo- I love how the uh the conversation about texas has, has turned full circle and and yes absolutely but who wouldn't want
2: to go there it sounds yeah, fantastic. it's absolutely spectacular it's a yeah. great place I've,
0: I've spent time in austin te- texas and of course everybody when you go there everybody tells you that it isn't texas at all so, yeah. you know, so, so you're not getting a real texas experience but yes that sounds lovely so so we're out there in, in the wilds looking over the, the the lovely countryside and um what and uh, we we've put the pandemic and politics
2: aside <laughs> what, what are we chatting about well yeah, i will tell you the thing that has been on my mind mm-hmm. so I, i'm reading a book right now um called Atomic Habits, mm-hmm. wonderful book by James Clear. And it's ostensibly uh, a book about how to develop new habits. Mm-hmm. Um, and without spoiling the book, because it's, it's a fantastic, wonderful book, but it's uh, basically the theme is you start small things, um, really small, right? And he, he calls mm-hmm. them atomic, right? So literally, if you want to create a habit of exercise, you know, an atomic habit might quite literally be one push-up per day and you just start right, right? and right. so and 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 you just build on that as a as a so even in a busy lifestyle you can develop habits that you want to develop and and mm-hmm. with this approach anyway it got me thinking to the quantity and quality idea of content um at, mm-hmm. that we produce as marketers and, you know, and you know, better than most, actually, the, this whole debate has been raging forever about, you know, how much content should we create and yeah. quality versus quantity issue and, yeah. and and all of that. Yeah. And, um, you know. As seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years ago, we would get this question all the time, uh, mm-hmm. at content marketing Institute and at workshops and with my clients and, you know, what's the right amount, how much, you know, is it quantity, is it quality? And there would be yeah. debates online and stuff like that. And my answer to that used to be that I would say something like, well, you should produce as much as you possibly can while maintaining a standard of remarkability or, or, or quality. Okay. In other words, right. as long as you maintain high quality, produce as much content as you can. And then I went, no, that's that's not right. That's that's mm-hmm. that's a bad answer. That's a that's a that's a bad answer for people. And so, what I used to then say, up until literally I mean, last week, when I started thinking about this book and and, and everything, which was uh, produce as little content as you can that still meet your goals. Right. Um, And, you know, and the thinking there is like in a world where, you know, no one says I have too much time on my hands, you know, especially in marketing, it seems prudent that we would focus on producing when we did produce quality content to produce the highest quality content in the balance with everything else you have to do in your life. And, and what I've realized is that that advice is not good either now, (laughs) um, And so (laughs) he tells this story, James Clear does in the book, he tells this story of this professor um, at the University of Florida, who ran this experiment with his photography class, and he divided the class into two groups, and one group would be graded solely on how much work they produced, in other words, how many photos Mm -hmm. they produced and if you produce more than 100 photos um in the in the time frame you got an a 90 photos of b 80 you know and so on and so forth yeah and then the second group would be graded on excellence right Mm -hmm. so they could only turn in one photo but to earn that a it had to be a perfect photo and you can guess where this is going team quantity ended up producing the better photos and the reason why, of course, is because these students, they tried all kinds of things. They, you know, they experimented with composition, yeah. they experimented yeah. with lighting, darkroom techniques, all these things, while team quality spent all their time sort of reading books and analyzing. Planning. And, and yeah. trying to, you know, yeah. analysis paralysis to make what, what makes the perfect photo and yeah. it ended up taking like one or two or 10 pictures. And then basically, you know, uh, failing, you know, to do it in the number of of, of mm. output. And so what it reminds me of is, is that the question itself is flawed when we say how much content should we create? Mm-hmm. Because what we haven't done in that question is define what content creation is. In other words, one of the things that we need to make sure that we don't conflate is ideation and creation with publishing in other words what we what we usually mean when we say how much content we should should we create is how much content should we publish out because quite frankly in business everything gets published you know what i mean it's like you know when we spend x hundreds or thousands of dollars on that blog post from that freelancer and it comes back and it's awful well, We still yeah. publish it, we paid for it, so we might as well publish it, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. or that white paper that we oh, got oh. that subject matter expert in the company to write, it's yeah. awful, but we rewrite yeah, it yeah. the best we can and publish it. Why? Because yeah. we need to, we, we got to get it out yeah. there, and so and the hamster wheel. Um, so the answer, my answer now is a little different, right? My answer that I've now come to the conclusion to is yes, create as much as you possibly want to, or an experiment Mm -hmm. and play and, you know, create all these ideas and have them on your desktop, but publish only those that you need to create the impact that you want to create. And that's the difference. Um, and I think that's a better approach all the way around. One, it reflects how I work. Um, and I find the most happiness in, which is, you know, somebody asked me on a Facebook post, they said, you know, how long does a blog post take? And I, I, my response was, I don't know. I've got a few on my desktop that I've been working on for 10 years and I'll let you know when they're done. Right. Yeah. yeah and so yeah. that's the, that's the real key is, is that, you know, separating this idea of creation and publication. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. <clears throat> a couple of, um, in really interesting things popped into my head around that. Apart from the fact I liked both of your first uh, answers, but this middle one is good too, because I really like the idea of, of the minimum amount of content to achieve your goals, a bit like the minimum viable audience thing that Seth Godin talks about. And um, that's that I thought that sounded great, but I think what you're saying is absolutely right. Produce, but don't, uh, but, but make that difference between producing and shipping. Now, the issue then, of course, is, then you get the freelancer to write the blog post, which you probably weren't that keen on the subject matter anyway, because somebody in the business said we need a blog post about X. The freelancer has a good go at it. You look at it; it doesn't it? does it's not good. It doesn't tell a compelling story. You rewrite it, and then you publish it just because you have to, right?
2: Yeah, Your I, think, model, well, I think my first uh, answer. The funny thing is, I think my first when when I when I had my first answer it was really me focusing in on the creation side right in other words create as much as you can but just you know make sure that you you're creating good stuff and and so that was you know basically saying focus on good ideas and and create and and then create as much as you can yeah and then the second but the second answer then i but it's like completely swung the pendulum too far the other way which was only create that which yeah. you want to publish. Yeah. Which which is which is wrong too, right? And so the yeah. the, the the real answer is split up those concepts. Yeah. Uh,
0: absolutely. I I have I've never thought like this before about this. I think this is an excellent idea. The only problem is is um, it's a bit like when you were talking about the amount of pilots that uh, network television does, right? Is that you you're killing a lot of creative ideas now it's all very well when they're sitting on your desktop but what if they're somebody else's ideas and you as the arbiter of content good taste on your website say nah (laughs) how do you how do you manage that which is like you want to then encourage the team to write but you will then say well you know right they're all gonna make it yeah
2: and you know i mean one of the it's one of the um main tenets of 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 writing you know i mean if you read the you know there's that famous book by stephen king on you know on writing well and you know and and so many books on writing well one of the things that they say is you know kill your darlings right you know you know you think it's this beautiful wonderful turn of phrase that you just absolutely can't edit out but you you know and that and that goes for ideas too right i mean there have been so many times that I have yeah, thought yeah. that I had this <laughs> amazing insightful idea. And then after I write it, go, yeah, that's not really that <laughs> insightful. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. True. But what about the, in, in these days, like this, the, the, the crowd that we have, that's, um, uh, that we have access to is there, is there value in publishing our ideas even though, they're not fully perfect because you're getting that idea out there and it just being out there with the crowd and the feedback you get will help you evolve that writing and that I, idea. Sure.
2: I, I buy that, uh, you know, I mean, so mm. I don't personally do that. Um, but I know a lot of people who do, um, you know, both in fiction and nonfiction, right there, there is, there are a lot of people who, who create, Content around ideas that are not yeah. fully formed, because they want to crowdsource yeah. or, quite frankly, network source—probably is a yeah. better word for it—input into that yeah. idea to help them make the idea better. Um, and yeah. I, I think that's a completely valid way. It's not the way I like to work, quite frankly, just because I don't yeah. like to work that way. Um, and yeah. but there's also, you know, there's there are famous writers now that you know, issue chapters of their book very, you know, you know, in, in, in a, in a very Dickens style, um, where, you know, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll put out a chapter a week or something like that and let the audience sort of determine where the story goes. And so, um, mm-hmm. I think both of those yeah. approaches are, 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 are valid. They're just not. No, and valid. also
0: they're, 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 they're going to work for, for a personal brand for somebody that can, that can educate their audience that this is actually what's happening. Um, whereas if if you're a content marketer for, for a large organization, you can't just test this crazy idea that you have out there uh, without it going viral on social for all the wrong reasons. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> so, right. So, yeah. So, so I think that's a great idea. I love this idea. So so pr- produce lots of content, but have like an arbiter of, of, of good taste and just release the good stuff. I, I love that. So that's our idea for this week.
2: Yeah, yeah. Or, or what you think is good. Right. I mean, obviously there, there, there comes a time when somebody has to be that arbiter yeah. of good. And, 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 so it's, you know, you, it's, and it's yeah. probably going to be you yeah. and, you know, if you're, if you're writing you, um, but yeah. it's, you know, it's, 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 yeah. uh, you know, this is where, this is one of those things where everybody benefits from having an editor, right? I mean, one of my favorite things is that in yeah, most, sure. most of the public things that I write, Um, I have a fantastic editor working who, who basically comes back and goes, (laughs) no, this idea is no, 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 no. And by the way, you use punctuation a little bit like Dr. Seuss uses words. Um, so maybe we want to just tighten this up here and (laughs) do that. And so, yeah,
0: I, um, I, I actually, um, I actually wrote about your um, your experience when you wrote your first book that you you talked about on your podcast, and it came and and your editor said you know read the final version not the red line and yes I, indeed yeah and I thought that was interesting because I've always I say always I learned <laughs> I learned to, to do that I think way back I mean you know Mary Leplant when I was working at Gilbane and she was my editor there and it, and looking at her editing my stuff help me become a better writer but you never start from there because you would you would see this bloodbath
2: and go oh (laughs) yeah exactly i mean i mean it looks like you know it looks like somebody knifed somebody in the back you know yeah uh, you know yeah But, but you know the interesting thing what i i play a little game with myself yeah which is because usually if it's being edited, it 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 comes back to you a few days or in some cases a few weeks after you've written the thing and you've forgotten, yeah. right? Yes. And so the game I yes. play with myself is I open the, you know, I don't want the redlined version, yeah, because then I remember what I said and I see how yeah. they changed it. Yeah. The game I play with myself is open exactly. the one that they've edited with the red lines all accepted, and oh, I yeah. see if I notice. Yeah, yeah. In other words, if, if I notice it, if I go, Oh, uh, that doesn't sound yeah. like me. Well, then I notice yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, And then yeah. it's something I may want to look at or switch or change around. But if I don't notice it, in other words, it sounds like me, but just better than or tighter or without as much fluff or, you know, which tends to be my biggest challenges that I overwrite. Um, and, um, and so, you know, Usually, my stuff, you know, comes back and it's half as long and twice as good. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. I, lo- I I, no, I, I, I love, I love, I love that because also if I'm editing somebody else's stuff, um, like we were editing some web pages, and somebody said, "I'd like to see what the web page looked like before," and I'm thinking, "Why don't you just judge it the way it is now?" <laughs> you know, right. and yeah. and I don't think you do that because if you look at an edit, some edited copy of your own and i love that game that you're playing yourself because then you realize were those ideas that precious to me really and they weren't in in almost
2: 90 percent. if i don't notice then of course they weren't that but
0: when you see but when you see one of your ideas lying there stricken on the floor with a red line through its heart you go oh well
2: and that occasionally happens right i mean you see you see something that you know they, they come back and go hey by the way, I cut this whole bit because it just was useless and you're like, rubbish. And you're like, Oh, I really like that. You know, but
0: this is a bad day. Yeah. All right. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you, Robert. Um, uh, And um, you know, I've never written a book and uh, I think your, um, uh, your advice about editing is great. And I love your original, the idea that we started talking about, which is the, the create lots of content, but publish little, which is splendid. And, you know when you noodle on these articles for ten years and they pop out, where would people find those? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you're very kind uh, you You will find anything that we're noodling on at our little uh, hole in the wall on the internet, which is of course <laughs> contentadvisory dot net
0: mm-hmm. and um and when they spin the dial on the internet where where might they find you?
2: Well, on all the social channels these days, um, you know, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn are the two primary ones for anything business related. And so I'm Robert underscore Rose on Twitter and LinkedIn, however it happens.
0: <laughs> well, thank you very much for your time. And um, will I see you in the bar next week? Of course not. Thank you, Robert. Really interesting topic for content marketers. How much content should we be creating? And then how much of that should we be publishing? And I love that topic of the editorial process. And I will, of course, include all his links in the show notes. So that's a wrap on episode 52 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Martin podcast. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and driving along with us. I hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks again to Jeff, Ian and Robert. Please check out their links in the show notes. Click them, follow them, take a look at their work and share it. I really appreciate their time. You can find the show notes at your favourite podcasting platform or our brand new website for this podcast, rockstarcmo.fm, where you can also find all our previous episodes. So, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? It's been a year. Well, let us know. Leave a review, subscribe, share or get in touch or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here next week jeff and i will pick a new topic and decide if it's a one-hit wonder or wonderable. robert rose will be back in our virtual rockstar cmo bar and i will have a wonderful conversation with dave mcguire founder of radix communications i actually recorded it this week and i think you'll love it until then i've been your host ian truscott and i hope you'll again join us next week here at rockstar cmo fm